Welcome to yeah. Booked, where three guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm an awesome, handsome dude, Sean Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Rob Olson. And this is Livia Snedden. Um, this week, as uh, you may have already noticed, a very special episode for us, as promised, back by popular demand. Sean Livia. Ferguson. Sean, thank you for coming uh, on again. My pleasure, as always. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for, for agreeing to come back, even though we abuse you verbally. Yeah. All right, so let's talk. All right, so this week <laughs> we are going to be reviewing uh, a book we've been looking forward to. As Livius mentioned on the previous episode, uh, this has been marked on our calendar for, what, months? Definitely months. 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 The, uh, the book Craig Walwork wrote recently, called or published recently, called The Sound of Loneliness. So I am going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about Craig Walwork, and then Livius will read the synopsis of the book for you. Craig Walwork lives in West Yorkshire, England. He is the author of the short story collection Quintessence of Dust, which we uh, reviewed quite a while back on the podcast here, and the novels To Die Upon a Kiss and The Sound of Loneliness, which is the one we're going to be talking about tonight. His fiction has appeared in various anthologies, journals, and magazines, and he is the fiction editor at Menacing Hedge Magazine. Before I read the synopsis, I'd like to uh, let listeners know in case they missed it. He was also a guest of this show uh, not that long ago. Was that a month ago, Rob? Probably? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that three authors yep. interview thing we did not like five or six episodes ago. Yeah, so we put him on the spot and made him pick which of his two um, upcoming releases we'd review. And he um, thought Sound of Loneliness was the one we should do. So here's a little bit about that book. Manchester in 1991 is a town suffering under the weight of high unemployment and massive government budgetary deficits that is plunging the UK into a recession. To Daniel Crabtree, a struggling writer, it is the backcloth to his first novel, one that will see him become a famous published author. Living off mostly water and flour, Daniel has embraced penury into his life under the mistaken belief that many young artists have. One needs to suffer for success in art. But Daniel is a terrible writer. In the three years since signing on the dole, of every morning chastising his Irish singing neighbor for walking, for waking him from sleep and scrounging food from his close friend Henry Sopperton, Daniel Crabtree has produced one short story. His heart is bereft of words as much as his pockets are of money. It is a story of love and how a poor starving man chasing a dream came to the understanding that amidst the clamor of life, the sound of loneliness is the most deafening of all. I can't believe you did that in one take without messing up at all. No, I did mess up. Right. You may have edited that. People might not have caught yeah. that one part. Uh. Um, so let's start there. Sean. I, I heard nothing but perfection. Well, thank you, Sean. That's why we keep having you back on. Why I keep having you back on. I have to fight Rob on it every time. Because he's a D-bag. What? I love Sean. I love you, Sean. I love you, too. <laughs> All right. So synopsis. Um, what do you guys think about the synopsis versus the book? Well, there's something that's obviously missing from the synopsis, and it's something that's very prominent through the middle of the book. The you know really the meat of the book uh, has has a character that's very significant to the story that really isn't mentioned at all in the in in the synopsis, and that's a, a young girl named Emma. Well, I actually much... thought you were going in a different direction with that. Oh okay. really? Mm-hmm. I thought you... you were going to talk about his uncle. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, no, his uncle, she's, too. She's way more prominent than he is, though. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Okay. 
I mean, even if you look at my first note, it says Daniel Crabtree and Emma are the big people in the story. No, no, <clears throat> I know. I know. I just have a slightly different opinion on this. Well, let's thing. hear about your opinion about it. Well, let's well, let's get into the story and let All people right. know what it's Very about good. first. All right. Cool. I, I guess my, my thought was that um, I'm going to say this early on. A lot of this book is funny and not necessarily that the situations are funny or meant to be funny, but, you know, the kind of funny you get in everyday life, even though it's a somber story. Um, for the majority of it, there are some really funny stuff, and I don't think that the synopsis fairly um, embraces that. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, um, to me, and I, it kind of makes sense to me. The reason that I'd say those funnier moments, the things, um, you know, those types of things are great parts of the book, but the overall feel of the book is more true to the synopsis, I guess, in my opinion. Okay. What do you think, Sean? I agree. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't... This is going to sound terrible, I think, but I I did laugh a couple times, but I don't know that I called funny. It, it definitely... With, with the exception of those two missing characters, that, that synopsis covers it real well. You could actually probably cut out Henry Sopperton a bit, because... He wasn't in it all that much. I think his yeah. his mom was in it more. Mm-hmm. And I think that funny the funny parts lean more towards absurd anyway. Like just the weird situations that he gets into, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But like you okay, know, at yeah, one point, yeah. like absurd situations happen to this guy pretty much consistently throughout the book. Like he sees a girl crying on the street, uh, and he stops to try and cheer her up, and it ends up. Um, that he's accused of being a you know a pedophile and someone steals his shoes, so it's like really uh, absurd parts happen throughout the book pretty consistently that are pretty funny, but yeah, I, I guess that definitely is not represented in the synopsis. If that's that's the kind of thing you're talking about, right, Liv? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of that in the book, and I think that's one of the things I like about the way Craig writes overall is that. You can have a very serious story that you pull. Like, he works on levels. So, like, you have, uh, you know, like an absurd kind of funny element to the story that's pretty prominent. Um, you have all these characters that are well-developed, um, but they're not necessarily, you know, like... But then there's a different level where it's it's more to what the synopsis is talking about. This life of this writer who he's poor and he's got this, you know, crazy dream that he's trying to, you know, be a, a famous writer and just nothing's going right for him. So I think it works on, on multiple levels. So the book starts out, uh, much as the synopsis says with Daniel Crabtree. Um, we come in a little, uh, a little later in his, uh, his endeavor to suffer for his art. So at this point he's, uh, he's penniless. He's, uh, in danger of losing his unemployment check. Although there's apparently a word in England that means unemployment check that um, what does do either one of you guys remember what it was gyro or gyro yeah, or gyro, gyro. Yeah. I got really excited I thought that guy was going to go get a euro with like the extra side of the sauce and stuff <laughs> but apparently apparently the cucumber it, uh, sauce exactly it uh, <laughs> apparently refers to some type of government maintenance for people who are underemployed or unemployed um, and he's kind of at his wits end I mean I, I don't know how much of this the one thing I didn't really get is did these did this recent time in his life make him this really embittered but funny individual like his just outlook on other people is very very bitter which I can understand you know just from being a bitter person myself 
with from <laughs> from the trials that he's gone through to you know quote unquote suffer for his art. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is a guy who's pretty down and out at the beginning of this book. Um, yeah, and I think that like as the book goes along a little bit, you'll see uh, references to how much of a bad father he had. His upbringing wasn't really that nice you know they were it was a poor family and the father was was not the greatest father um and so he he was always a little i guess like even in the the few references to experiences as in childhood like they went on vacation to uh you know wherever they went i can't remember the location they went to on vacation but um, they like basically (laughs) because they were at a place that had a beach they basically forced him to go swimming um because it was like a vacation activity kind of thing and this kid splashed him and he punched the kid. So I think he always had like a very uh, standoffish, you know, even as a, like you see examples as a kid where he's a little bit standoffish as well. And probably, you know, because his dad was kind of a douchebag is, is the feeling I got. Yeah, but there's a, there's also a really weird element and it's not just when he sits down next to the girl that's crying. Like a common concern of his is whether or not people are going to think he's a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, like, he's, everything he does seems to be, like, the wrong move. Like, anytime he tries, like, (laughs) anytime he tries to do something, and it seems like it's, like, to me, the impression was that he's so bad at caring about the general people, just being a normal, you know, person who, you know, a member of a community, that when he tries to do a nice thing, it just, like, completely backfires. Yeah, when he tries to do anything, and and his pedophile concerns are, are... (laughs) You know, they're almost warranted in, in his behavior, not necessarily as a pedophile, but there's uh, there's two scenes actually in the book where he follows a woman for some period of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the one is, is much briefer, but I mean, there's a long description of following this woman that he wants to talk to that, of course, you know, when he kind of shows up behind her as she's getting into her car, you know, she has a, a negative reaction towards him. But, you know, the one thing that and I know, Rob, you're going to talk a little bit about something that, you know, that this reminded you of. I kind of, and now it's been many, many, many years um, um, since I've read this, but, you know, I kind of got the feeling that it's, uh, yeah, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, and I don't remember his name, but the kid from The Catcher in the Rye, like if he was a little less screwed up and got a little older, you know, there are like these weird things like him following this woman and and some of his outlooks on, on life and you know, just the way he felt towards his neighbors. And it's, it kind of reminded me of that. Like if that kid took some medication, he might grow up to be Daniel Crabtree. Wow. Right. Can I pause the podcast right now? Just to acknowledge the fact that Livius read catcher in the rye. That's kind of a surprise to me. Holding. Why is that a surprise? I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe. I don't don't read a lot of like classic. Yeah. And and he hadn't read. All right. (laughs) When we started the podcast, Livius had not read any Edgar Allan Poe. Like you okay. almost like you almost have to like make a specific effort to avoid having read Edgar Allan Poe in your life. Um, Rob, yeah. As of episode one twenty eight of this podcast, still haven't read any Edgar Allan Poe. That's why you said that. Like when you started it, you hadn't. Still, still not. <sighs> All right. I have obtained some Edgar Allan Poe. I just haven't been able to work it in yet. I'm not equating in any way. The Catcher in the Rye with Edgar Allan Poe, but that's the type of thing I'm talking about. It's things that, like, I mean, I read, I'm in, in, I remember in middle school for a, a class, we read an Edgar Allan Poe story. So, like, 
It was required by school for me. I didn't have a choice. It's just surprising. Chicago, anyway. pub, Chicago public schools, Rob, we mm-hmm. weren't even required to read in middle school <laughs> at all. Anything. Oh, oh yeah. the state has failed you. Um, but I, I can see a little Holden Caulfield. I, I see what you're saying. The way that he is so awkward and, and not good with society and interactions with people. Yeah, for sure. So essentially, yeah, uh, that's how the story starts out. He's he's just decided to leave home to to make it as a as a writer, and very proudly won't take money from anybody. So he's basically starving himself and making it. You know, just barely making it from one gyro 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 unemployment oh, check. Yes, to the to the next. Uh, but then, stupidly, no, you know what though? You're you're giving him more credit than he deserves. He he spends the entire time mooching off of other people. He's not even making it on his own. He's like borrowing and and breaking promises to people the whole time. That's true. And and he when he does get his money, he spends a significant amount of it on, you know, at the pub, you know, drinking or you know, buying drinks for other people and stuff. So, not good with his money. He's poor, and um, that's pretty much like the trajectory he's on until. The uncle that Livius mentioned earlier is is um, he's ill and everything, and so his mom asks him to go check in on him. And in the process of of visiting his uncle, uh, he meets. Well, first of all, he he becomes he starts to interact with his uncle. So there's a little bit of like that going on and seeing how that's affecting him. But then he meets this girl named Emma, who who is a teenage girl who lives in the same I guess apartment building or whatever as the uncle, and um, she helps kind of care for his uncle and uh so he meets her and then she starts to kind of like become a part of his life as well i don't think we're spoiling a lot going into this next part because craig had talked about it when he was here on our on our podcast um and this is this is where i kind of want if this was written by somebody say like jk rowling james patterson someone that read it that couldn't (laughs) You would have if we would have asked you to, because you read Anne Rice. Shut up. I probably wouldn't try to, I would probably argue this point vehemently, but um, Craig Walwork is a friend of the show, and he can correct me, so I'm only going to suggest. Um, Craig had said that, you know, his, his you know, meeting Emma kind of, ca- you know, begins to cause this kind of change in his attitude and in how he sees things. And I think it actually goes back a little further to just to his uncle. I think that his uncle probably had a little more to do with his change than you would initially give him credit for. That's fair. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you're briefly explaining it to someone, Mm -hmm. Emma is really the main, like the main force of change for him for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So Emma's a very shy, at least in the beginning, you know, a kid, she's 14, 15. I don't know if we ever really established exactly how old she is, but she's a a high school age, young high school age um, girl who, you know, in this building that this this dying man lives in is not, uh, you know, isn't the best place. So she also comes from from kind of a rough family. So there's not a lot of well-to-do happy people in the story. Um, but Emma and uh, and Daniel's uncle have formed a, a pretty good relationship where, where they kind of understand each other as she's kind of become a, a sometimes caretaker for him. Are you ready for your mind to be blown? Yes. Here comes a literary turn. Ready? She serves as his foil. Boom! Wow. Boom! 
boom. Episode 120. All right, we're at 128. That just fucking happened. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time I think anybody's mentioned a foil uh, in in the in the entirety of this podcast. I like it. Good job, Sean. Do you want to explain foil to the listeners? To me? Can someone ex- explain it to me? Look at me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm looking deeply into your eyes. Stroking that. All right, let's not get weird. Just explain what a foil yours. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, a foil is a character who is the opposite uh, that serves as um, kind of a mirror for the main character or a main character to kind of highlight the faults in a completely different way rather than just saying he was a douchebag to the shopkeeper or, or whatever. There is this F-O-I-L? Yeah. It is. Okay. I learned it that is. I learned that in high school. Right after you read Catcher in the Rye, I imagine. Perhaps not not long after, to be honest. Um, right before you read The Raven, I'm sure. No, no, no. I think there was some Shakespeare involved. There's probably some foils in Shakespeare, right? There is Hamlet. There we go. Yeah, Hamlet. Mm-hmm. All right. It's got all like academic up in here word bitch <laughs> yeah and that's i mean like yeah emma essentially uh the reason that she and because it's kind of weird that like a teenage and anywhere no matter where you are a teenage girl would just start hanging out with this old dying guy and his weird nephew so the explanation of that is she's just got a very unsatisfactory home life and it seems like she doesn't really have any friends either um so she feels very lonely and she doesn't really have anybody that takes her seriously or gives her much attention or you know anything like that so um she kind of forms a bond with the uncle because he he you know he's as weird and ornery and old as he is he he kind of gets her and everything so she kind of forms a bond with him and then over time uh, meeting with Daniel and then their mutual care for the uncle kind of draws them together. It's, you know, that's kind of the common thing is the uncle, and that's how they become, you know, friends and everything like that at the beginning. I don't think there's much more to say about plot. No, in fact, we could probably end the show. I just dropped foil on your asses. Yeah. We're probably done already. We can't even, yeah. You blew the wheels off this one, Sean. I did. <laughs> you, you know what? You could probably take next week off, too. <laughs> Sean just mic dropped the whole like podcast. We don't even have to do it anymore because he said foil. Why didn't we think of that? Like episode ten, we'd be done. So, um, and that's what I do. I end podcasts. <laughs> yep, truth, <laughs> truth in there. All right, though you you were just gonna say something. I don't remember. I'm in the moment of silence for lost podcasts. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to cut it there on in the interest of staying spoiler free and giving all of our listeners a chance to read some of this on their own. Uh, let's talk a little bit about writing style. So we had a little bit of a difference at the beginning. Um, and so far as is this book funny or not? Um, any more thoughts on that? I don't know. It- we're talking about style, so I don't know Ed, if funny is what I would talk about, but I would definitely like later when we get to the quotes, all of my quotes are from the beginning because everything 
later it's it's kind of hard to pick out like little lines without taking entire like passages because everything like much later is tighter so if you're trying to like quote something later in the book it's like really out of context and makes like no sense whereas like earlier you can pull out in my opinion anyway small sentences and i thought that was interesting yeah i could see that yeah kind of like the the thoughts that are, are conveyed are just kind of larger or more developed toward the end is that what you're saying Yes. Yeah. I, I, and, yeah. And even so, it, even when it's not like narration and uh, yeah, narration, when it's those thought processes, even like there's like little stories or scenes or whatever that really don't have much to do with the overall plot, but are just they further the character a little bit. For instance, mm-hmm. he goes into like a convenience store, I guess. See, I'd say this book wasn't funny. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm laughing already. <laughs> and why are you, are you laughing at me? No, no I'm laughing at that scene. About. Oh. So he's in the store and how's it go? He he goes to buy something and he there's a there's misunderstanding between him and the guy behind the counter because the guy <laughs> behind the counter has a different accent. So he gets Daniel Craig, or Crabtree, rather. <laughs> I think we know who we're going to cast for the movie adaptation. <laughs> um, gets, like, so irritated that he, like, walks a block and a half away, turns around, comes back, and then yells in through the door at him as irritated as possible. But I vaguely remember, that, like, there's a compliment in there. Yeah, like, oh, you got me. Yeah, yeah like it was kinda. like he couldn't even get being mad right. <laughs> I could see that, yeah, for sure. How many times did you guys laugh out loud reading this? A few. A see? few, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. It takes a lot to get me to laugh out loud from reading a book. So, And that's the thing. Like This book, to me, it, it's definitely different than the, any of the books that uh, this is going to be me chiming in on the writing style. It's different than a lot of things that I've read lately in, 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 in as much that, I mean, it's really a book about this one dude. And um, so it analyzes his life in, in a lot of different ways. It analyzes the weird, absurd things that goes on. It analyzes him as a writer or a bad writer or whatever kind of writer he is. Um, his just unrealistic expectations in life. I mean, we look at his life just like laid bare. So it's kind of a whole spectrum of things. And, and, you know, overall it's a kind of a weird kind of, I don't know. uh, I lost my thought. It's kind of this, uh, this dude in a crappy situation who he doesn't really know how to be a proper person. And, um, and it's made so obvious by the way that he interacts with everybody um, you know, strangers and, and family and, and, and everybody pretty much in general. And it's not that he's not trying. He just like, it seems like he's just so lost about how to be the person that he, you know, expects one day he will be, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's very interesting in, in the way that he feels the need to portray himself as successful when he's not. And I think that I, I have quite a few different feelings about this book, but one of them is almost that in the beginning, Daniel's very, I don't know if I'm going to say this word right or use it properly, but he's more projective. He kind of like projects 
out onto other people a lot more. And his transition in the book isn't from like crappy writer to good writer or lonely guy to not lonely guy, but it's almost to going from projecting at and on everybody to kind of reflecting on himself throughout the course of the book. And I was thinking about that when Sean said that later on the quotes are harder to come by that aren't like big passages. And I think it's, I think it's him growing as a person and, and if not growing at least like something flipped inside of him, you know, and he, he goes from basically hating the world to kind of looking more at himself throughout the course of the book. But. Yeah. But he yeah. still hates Pakistani shopkeepers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think it's like, he thinks that his life is going to be about the transition, like him becoming a writer. We think the book is going to be about him discovering love and, you know, um, you know, that type of thing, caring and love and all that. And in reality, it's about him just kind of getting it, you know, like going from being clueless about life to, you know, that transition to where he finally understands things at some point. And so there's, it's like, again, the layers thing, there's, there's different expectations for the reader, the protagonist, and like what the actual book, you know, probably is going to end up doing. And, and so it's, for me, that was kind of interesting. Who would like to kick off some quotes? I don't think we're done talking about it, but I think I get the feeling that the quotes are going to bring us back to conversation. I'll go. Perfect. Oh, before though, uh, did you guys notice like the first two, three pages talked a lot about poop? <laughs> I have a note. I have a note in my Kindle that says, I think this book may have been co-authored by Pablo Desir. Wow. <laughs> anyway. An offensive stink followed me from room to room, reminding me that loneliness and penury are watchdogs of derision, happy to confiscate a person of all their self-confidence. Penury. There it comes again. Penury. Did, didn't you look up penury, Sean? Yes, that's the word I had to look up. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember what, what it was? Extreme poverty. He's got it in the notes. Extreme it's poverty. It's in the notes. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I really loved about this was... Um, and just the writing in general, and I'm sure I'll be able to phrase this better in a little bit, but just sometimes it's a little line. So, for example, this is, uh, of course, this whole book, I don't know if we mentioned it, but it's all first-person narrative. Um, so this is Daniel, obviously. I threw him a scowl, but the distance diluted it. That, gentleman is beauty. That was very good. I agree. This is, this was, uh, this is like, not even 10% into the book, so it's very much at the beginning of the book, and Again, um, more of the funny kind of stuff. Daniel's talking to his friend Henry, and Henry's wearing this brown khaki shirt, and, and Daniel doesn't like it. And Henry says it's French. And, um, and here's a couple of quotes that I, th I thought were just fantastic. I'll just read the, there's like three paragraphs. French, then I'm sure it won't be long before the rest of your wardrobe is violated in the night. My advice would be to sew up anything that has a hole. <laughs> All right, and then here's a little quote a little later on. Um, this is still Daniel just ra rallying against the French, and he says, I'm being honest. They're a nation of, united by lust and vanity, the brood of whores and winos. Two bottles of vino bianco, and they'll abandon all standards and undergarments. I challenge any Frenchman to enter a barber's shop and not instantly begin fucking the floor. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful stuff. Now I'm a little nervous to ever meet Axel Tayari. Well, as long as you don't take him to a barber shop, oh, you'll be fine. Now I definitely want to meet him. Although that guy does need a haircut, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
All right, Booked is going to put together a Kickstarter to fly out Axel Chiari <laughs> to the United States so we can take him to a barber shop. Get him a haircut and see if he fucks the floor. If not, while work, we're going to put you on notice. Yeah. $25 for the Kickstarter. Uh, you get to see the, the YouTube video. We're going to make a private YouTube video. That's what the $25 contribution gets you. And a lock of Axel Tyari's hair. The $50 level, you actually get his uh, his mugshot nicely framed. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go to, a, to a, a, a passage here that I thought, this is 4% into the book. Now, I was going to save this for the wrap-up, but I'm going to say this now. At 4% of the book, I thought to myself, and I don't mean any offense to any writers out there, really, but... I would like to say that I think that a vast majority of writers that I've read could learn a lot from Craig Walwork. And here's a perfect example why. I had searched every public house in the Pendleton Quarter in the likelihood I was wrong, but arrived at the conclusion Salford was a city endlessly caught on the final stroke of midnight, where a misplaced glass slipper lost in haste suggested an unseen beauty existed, but all that remained in its place were the much uglier sisters. Yeah. So this guy, this guy has some serious, serious writing chops. And, you know, I knew that from reading his short stories. And I'll, I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to cut up the, the quotes here a little bit because I, I really want to say this. Had I have read the synopsis beforehand, or had I just come across the synopsis on Amazon, there's no way I would have read this book. This is just not my thing. But this guy managed to keep it um, interesting and well-written enough that, you know, what, even if what on the face of it, I still say, yeah, the story sounds meh. I'm not in a big hurry to read this book. Um, value added from a fantastic, fantastic writing standpoint. Do, do you think that he writes those passages with those chiseled abs of his? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think he uses a computer like everybody else. Yeah, I'm going to say probably it's computer. More computer than anything. Sean, you have more quotes? I'm trying to make this episode as creepy as possible. <laughs> I don't think you're going to out-creep the Axel Tyari on a barbershop floor. Right? Like that. That's pretty much, yeah, that's going to be tough to top. So that's the challenge you need to accept. Sean, you have some quotes? I do. Go for it. More miserable than the buildings were, it's women with their panda eyes and milky arms purple bruises and peroxide halos those who were not pregnant dressed like whores yeah he has a high opinion of the uh the na his neighbor that was at the beginning right when he's walking through his neighborhood just kind of thinking about things yes yeah <laughs> real but high opinion he, of... he he does that to all the women even even his mom who at the very beginning he adored and whatever like she was not nice at the end at all like his opinion eventually sours on yeah. women. Yeah. He does that to the waitresses. He does that to his own mother. Um, he does that to pretty much all the women that he follows or spends time with. Yeah, I could see that. He, yeah, I mean, that's kind of his, the overall theme of the character, I think, in general. Like uh, that, you know, his story that he just can't stop talking about at the beginning, Love is a Gazelle, I think is what it's called, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. You know, where the, even in that story, he's following somebody and being super creepy. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. But um, even in that, uh, his 
feelings for that story evolve over time as well you know so yeah yeah that's a good observation i'm gonna drop a a quick quote i want to throw one of the more serious ones out there um just as contrast to everything we've been hearing so far um and this is more of a reflection of him as a writer this was my goal to create a story that forced others to do better or give up completely not an easy task i like that Agreed. My next quote was a little longer, but I don't know um, because it's very dialogue-y. I don't think it would really read well, but there's a scene where... (laughs) All right, I'm going to try to... This is going to be less of a quote and more of a a kind of pieces of a conversation, I guess. So his friend Henry um, shows up at one point and tells Daniel that he thinks he may have crabs. There's this conversation that follows. I'm going to pick my favorite part out of this. Henry asks, or I'm sorry, Daniel asks who and why to the, I think I have crabs. And Henry responds with, I was drunk. She said she was 40, but it was just a good brassiere. <laughs> <laughs> um, that whole thing goes on for like a page and a half is just goddamn hilarious. I, I think all of their conversations are, are that entertaining. You know what? Now, now that you're now that you say that, I think you're right. I think that every one they have is is pretty funny. There's definitely good inter like there's really funny interactions between Daniel and a bunch of characters. Livius and I before the we started recording, we're talking about um, an incident that happens that's way too spoilery to like really really reveal what's going on. But there's something that he's doing that, when observed by other people, could be very 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 grossly misinterpreted. As something very perverted and sexual. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And and the situation, you know, he's trying to do something on the sly and then, like, eventually gets caught. And, like, the moment someone sees him, everything he does to try and undo the harm just, like, amplifies the entire situation. And then him and his brother get in a big argument about it. And the words that they use are just, like, he uses are just, like, the worst possible words he could use. It's just this absurd you know, farce of a comedy, you know, um, real quick before we, before I let one of you guys get back to it. I also had that whole conversation about the French, um, bookmark. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to read cause my favorite paragraph and I, I think initially you were going to read it and then you changed your mind. But again, he's referring to the French. They stink, and the majority of them are shirt lifters. No doubt the one you're wearing has been lifted at least a dozen times. Turn around, and I'll check the back for stains. <laughs> this this, this is, and like I said, you know, is it a funny, is the story funny? No, but God damn it, I'm sitting in my car, like, laughing out loud reading this book on, on you know, on, on my lunch break. So... All Which right. also reminds me that, yes, reading it during your lunch break, I don't think it's just early on that he's concerned with bodily fluids. I think it flows through the course of the story, too, because he gets to the uncle, and the uncle's always on the shitter and <laughs> the first time shutter-worthy. That, yeah. first, that first time the uncle's introduced, that whole scene, mm-hmm. perfect, just brilliant. Yeah. yeah, try eating a burrito while you're reading that. Nope, nope not going to do it. I'm going to do my big quote uh, just because, you know, I want to see how if I can do it. There's basically a quote uh, toward you know toward the beginning of the book where he's reflecting on on people's accents and where you know how they mispronounce things. So here we go. I'm going to do my best. And the way that he introduces the concept is so interesting because you'll you'll just see there are plenty of thieves in Salford, most of them quite amiable and 
accommodating, and while most things were never beyond their reach, I often wondered who had requested the theft of the letter H from the Salfordian dialect. I noticed the absence first when listening to my father berate Nicholas and me. When he pronounced hospital, it came out sounding like hospital, a noun he often referenced as a place <laughs> we would soon be visiting if we didn't do what we were told. Horse became orse, usually followed by fell. And horrible, horrible, an adjective which summarized his children's disposition perfectly. In addition, the H thief was a little mischievous and liked to substitute the letter T for the letter C, which brought an extra dimension to the word hospital because it would often sound like hospital and kettle would be, or hospital, hospital, hospital. I read it hospital. And kettle would become kessel or keckle. Anyway. Moreover, G had a way of pushing out the D, causing words like middle to sound like miggle. Our mother grew up in a nice area of Trafford where the consonant bandit hadn't ventured, so I retained all my H's and had equal amounts of both D's, G's, and T's. But for those less fortunate, it made the local vernacular sound jagged and low class and was at times like speaking with those at the bar. I had to do a little mental reshuffling to understand what they were saying. I'm going to cut in with a piece of one of mine just because it fits so perfectly. At, at some point, someone tells him that he's going to have to go to, to the hospital. <laughs> and he just says, hospital has an H at the beginning. And why would I need to go there? <laughs> I just love it. I damn love it. Yeah. Ferg, what do you got? Talking about this was um, back when he loved his mom. I guess. Like a culinary alchemist, she created dishes more, much greater than the sum of their parts. It was the nearest I ever got to seeing a miracle in this shitty town. I do remember that quite vividly, yeah. Probably, like, the most amorous, like, uh, the most love you ever got for, for his mom was, like, in his, like, reflections about her cooking right then. Like, that's, like, the nicest sentiment I think we heard about her. Mm-hmm. You got more, Liv? I, I could just keep going and going. Um, this is, again, one of the funny ones and one that will probably come up in regular usage for me. I took solace that he was probably retarded. His brain, nothing more than a cushion holding his eyes in place. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, it's so hilarious. Let me say, he's not actually referring to someone who is retarded. Does that make it better someone, or worse? Um, I think it makes it funnier. It okay. makes it awesome. <laughs> All right. I have one more uh, that I really want to do. Um, did someone just attack their microphone? Nope. Livius? Not on this end. Huh. Was it me? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right. If only there was someone <laughs> we could ask if you're the one that did it. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering if something shifted around and hit my microphone. All right. Uh, so I'm going to do this one last one. Um, that this is a little bit more funny too. So he's on unemployment and event and occasionally he would have to go. Well, he always had to be looking for jobs in order to qualify to get the money. And sometimes he'd actually do a job for a day or so here or there. And this is him at one of his jobs <laughs> explaining the situation that was explaining what happened when he was there. I was coupled with a girl whose eyes had taken a disliking to each other. One <laughs> eye seemed permanently spellbound with the ceiling. <laughs> while the, <laughs> One eye seemed permanently spellbound with the ceiling, while the other would shift erratically from the floor to my left shoulder. Whenever she spoke, I would look up at the ceiling and then behind me to see who she was talking to. But there was never anyone there. 
the other thought I had while reading this was um, if he wanted to, he could definitely pen the like British version of apathy and other small victories. And I think it was exactly reading that part that made me think that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it for me for quotes. That's it. I'm just going to keep going then. This one I'm not going to do because it's very, very spoilery. Actually, you know what? I can do it. Um, I'm going to cut this in half. So it's much longer and more eloquent than I'm going to give it credit for. I cannot remember when I had time for myself to write and hate the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It goes on, but anything else I say after that kind of gives away a lot of story. Sean, do you have any more? I do. A man who drank felt more like a man and less controlled by life. Few could argue the merits of professional counseling when compared to a bender. Very good. All right, I think we've given the the readers enough to work with there, don't you guys think? I'm I'm sure. happy. Yeah, I'm satisfied. We we that's the thing about this book is like pretty much every scene's got something that's notable. So, you know, we couldn't do the whole, you know, book justice, but um, hopefully we gave a good representation of the different types of situations that you would run into reading this book. All right, before we get to like a wrap-up and, and do ratings and stuff, there's a couple of things that this reminded me of, um, stuff I've read or watched in the past, and I wanted to see. I know that um, before the we started recording, I asked Livius and Sean if they'd ever read any John Fonte, which uh, the answer was no. Um, John Fonte is an author that is mentioned once or twice in the book, and... Um, I mean, it's kind of obvious why uh, John Fonte is known for uh, basically writing books about being a writer who's poor, you know, and um, it did, you know. didn't he also do the blurb on the front of the book or John, was that Dan? That's Dan Fonte. Sean, John Fonte died in like the early 80s. He was he, his. So it definitely wasn't him then. If he got, if somehow Craig Walworth <laughs> got a blurb from John Fonte in the in the two thousands in two thousand twelve, I mean, like, I don't know how I couldn't be more impressed because that would be just astonishing. But um, John Fonte wrote; um, he was kind of a, a literary hero to to Charles Bukowski and John Fonte. Who wrote? <laughs> you <laughs> you got the dry run earlier. And <laughs> You had to go ahead with it again. Um, he wrote books about being, you know, a struggling, you know, a new writer who was just, you know, hoping to, to break into being a, a world famous writer. That type of thing was very important to him. Drank a lot, you know, uh, dealing with women and stuff like that. So yeah, and, and family issues and everything. So uh, very similar ground. Um, Daniel kind of looked up to Fonte, a little bit of, of Bukowski as well. That, now, did he get John Bukowski to blurb this book too? <laughs> if there, yeah, if there was like a, like a <laughs> Fred Bukowski, I will, yeah, then I'd be a little suspicious. I'd be like, hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, but the book itself, Sound of Loneliness, has a very similar feel. I mean, the story is very similar, and I mean, it's definitely you know very unique and it's a it's a thing of its own but it's if you if you into fonte and you like that type of writing i think you'd be very comfortable reading this as well um, the other thing that it reminded me of uh and this is more again just like uh stories about you know writers who just have this overwhelming kind of need to become a legendary writer 
there's a little BBC series. I think it was like a three-part thing called Any Human Heart. And it's a, it basically follows this writer from uh, when he's very young. He has success with a book that he wrote um, throughout his entire life until he dies. And he never kind of hits that success again. So he's always struggling with this like feeling of like he thinks he's he's a great writer, but nothing he does works out. And he's seeing all this stuff going on, and like and like it's just so sad, and and to watch him struggle and just fail to to get anywhere with that, and um, you know, again, it's just that whole idea of writers who um, are just you know hell bent on on becoming huge and famous, that type of thing. So then you would toss in not necessarily a book, but like almost famous the movie, or um, maybe Nick Hornby's about a boy, perhaps. Who? Nick Hornby. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Ha 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 ha. That guy was Nick Hornby <laughs> in the range, right? Is that like a band from the eighties? No. I have not read any Hornby. Um, if I were to recommend Hornby, I'd go with High Fidelity. I saw the movie. Yes. So that about a boy, are you saying it's kind of in a similar vein? Yeah. Um, what was it? It was a washed up um, songwriter who befriends an odd small boy and they end up spending time together and through... If they're becoming friends, they learn how to be better people in general, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I saw I saw that movie. Yeah, that sounds a little more hopeful than the things that I was mentioning, but yeah, for sure. All right, so everything, this book reminds somebody of everything. So I threw in there with a, a book that caused people to become um, weird assassins and serial killers. Um, that's this reminds Sean of Bruce Hornsby in the range. I don't know which song it is exactly. <laughs> and who did it remind me of, Livius? Rob, was, ta- references... Rob was talking about a diet soft drink. I have no idea what, what happened here. I was not talking about Fanta, which, by the way, was created by the Nazis. That's true if you can cool. look it up. It's Nazi Coca-Cola. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Had Sean ever gone to Germany, he'd take a giant picture <laughs> of it. <laughs> Super funny. Oh, poor listeners, you're not going to know what we're talking about. Oh, right. <laughs> Rob, are you ready to wrap this up? No, I'm friends with <clears throat> all two of them. Ouch, man, ouch. All right, if you don't understand, you want to know more about um, why Sean taking pictures of, of lots of soda makes sense. Um, <laughs> Made by Nazis. Yeah, friend him on Facebook and just page through his recently posted photos and you'll... You'll kind of have an idea what we're talking about. I am ready for a wrap-up. I'll yes. kick it off. Kick it off, sir. We're going to do a Sean Ferguson sandwich right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fergwitch. Here we go. Um, the first thing I want to say about this book, and, and it's the thought that I was having throughout explaining it on this on this episode, is that it's tough to explain. Um, there's, um, Like I said, I go back, I'm going back to the layers thing. I think it works on different levels simultaneously. Um, and for different reasons. And um, there's a lot of stuff that we can't, we always say there's a lot of stuff that we don't want to spoil, but this especially so, because so much of the things that are fundamentally good or, or you know, like uh, shift the, the way that his life is and everything are the parts that we can't talk to you about. So very difficult to give you a concise 
comprehensive explanation of the book um, while still leaving something for you to, to discover on your own. Uh, that being said, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I really enjoy this style of book. Again, I'm a big fan of stories like this. Like I said, John Fonte, I've read a lot of his stuff. Um, so, so I'm a big fan of this, this type of story. Craig's uh, weird humor and the way that this character lived his life and the, the weird absurdities that happened to him. Also, I'm a huge fan of that. Kind of reminded me, this is a little bit of a reach, <clears throat> so I apologize. Um, but I'm going to feel really cool if, if this is something that Craig likes. Is uh, P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, he's got the character, he created the character Jeeves. And um, his character, Bertie Wooster, was basically this rich guy. And Jeeves was his, uh, his butler. And Birdie would always get into these absurd situations that Bird that that Jeeves had to to try and help him get out of. So, the absurdity of these situations was like a very very scaled down feeling of of like that type of PG Woodhouse thing, which I like a lot. Um, and overall, the story was fantastic, very emotional, um, and and there was definitely, you know, kind of a change in the in the character that I liked a lot, and the ending was very satisfactory for me. So I really like this book. I'm going to give it five stars. Wow. Yay. <laughs> Clapping on podcasts is usually not a good idea. Can I say before, before we turn it over to, that to, just fucking happened before I turn it over to Sean Ferguson. Um, you know, was that, we had that sandwich. What was that called? Is it called a Ferg burger? Ferg burger. Yeah. We did have one called yes. a Ferg burger. Yep. So it was the, it was the bacon cheeseburger that had instead of buns, grilled it was cheese. grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds so. amazing. It, it was pretty goddamn amazing. Yeah. Oh, where is that? So, but when you're here hey, in Illinois, we'll yeah. take you there. Next time you're in Illinois, we'll take you for a Ferg Burger. Which is early June. I keep forgetting to find out when that is. I should probably find out because I'm in that wedding. This year. Yes. Awesome, guys. We're gonna in the podcast. We'll report to you back about. Ferg having a Ferg burger, we might have a, a picture of it. You know, it's going to be crazy. We'll multimedia oh, this. Oh my god! It might be on the I'm special YouTube like... channel with Axel Tiari at the not... at the barber shop. I'm not going to Inception myself, am I? You could. <laughs> you, you could. could. We're, and yeah. Rob and I are going to sit on either side of you while you're eating this Ferg burger. <laughs> only if I get to kick. <laughs> only if I get to kick a chair that you're sitting in into uh, a tub full of water. <laughs> If I am allowed to do that, you can inception yourself all day. That sounds elaborate. <laughs> Sean, wrap wrap up stars, man. <clears throat> um, I'm with Livius. If um, if you handed me the summary first, I probably would have not have read it. I'm more kind of um, man versus nature rather than man versus himself kind of guy. Uh, guns car chases that sort of thing none of those things are nature <laughs> there's nothing natural about this <laughs> everything about it, it, it i'm sorry we shouldn't sorry, interrupt Sean. this wrap-up that was really rude we're sorry what is it then because it's not man versus himself all right it's man versus you schooled us machine right i don't think that's a thing is that a thing do you read robo apocalypse no. Just let Sean do his. You told me not to. <laughs> yeah, we did. That was one. Of, all right, yeah, no, no, no. Sean, do your. Yeah, we did tell you not to do. That was one of our first conversations. I remember that we we're talking on Facebook. You said uh, thanks I for. Was, 
saving you the money. God damn it. So, yeah, so there's, like, no car chases, no gunfights, no drugs, no... Uh, it doesn't It doesn't have the grit that I normally enjoy. So, um, based on the summary, it probably would not have been something I read. But the fact that Krieg or Craig or... Whatever the fuck. By the way, we should probably, or you guys should probably include like sound bites from Friday, where they're calling out the main character's name. <laughs> we'll do our best because because he wrote it. I I was going to read it whether it was with you guys or not, and I, and I'll be reading to die upon a kiss. When does that come out? Soon. The book is taking forever. Well, but it's okay because later, Sean, we're going to talk about the British definition for soon again. Sweet. It's a horse. Thank um, you. Yes. I'm glad I read it. I think it's fantastic. And it's delightful and wonderful. And um, five stars. Ooh. Very nice. This is a tasty sandwich so far. Yes. Um,. If if nobody got the hint earlier, I'm not gonna re say what Sean just said. But yeah, this is uh, Rob. Your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking back through what we mostly review on this podcast, and most of it fits into some kind of genre, and this one doesn't. Um, so when it's not genre lit, lit, it's just literature, right? This is like the fancy highfalutin stuff. This is like the David Foster Wallace type writing am i right rob is yes 100 yeah, percent. you just felt right so um which i don't normally care for and you know as john said i would if i would have read this the synopsis i would have said you know what i don't know i've got other things i've got vampire books i gotta catch up on you know i gotta read some more stephanie meyer um but i did read this, ah. and that's <laughs> um and i'm i'm probably a better person for having read it and i say that because um, I found a, you know, I'm doing the air quotes, a literary book um, that not only made me laugh out loud, but made me uh, made me really sad at times and made me happy at others. So kind of like the roller coaster of emotions. Um, but what I found is, and this is, I just want to say what I said earlier, a lot of writers, most writers, the vast majority of writers could learn a lot from Wallwork and, and what he did with this book. So um, I, I just... Yeah, the story was was great, but the writing was phenomenal. So I'm going to echo. I'm going to parrot these two guys and uh, and also give it five stars. I think that's unprecedented. I don't think we've ever had a guest on the show that where we've done five stars across the board. I don't think that's happened. It is well, it not. certainly wasn't that Anne Rice piece of shit. Hey, I want to make a. I, I forgot to mention this before, um, but it's fine that we do it after the wrap up. <clears throat> This was kind of a, you guys agree, like, this is a small town England kind of setting, right? Yep. Um, much like a book that we read before that was set in a small town in England called The Casual Vacancy. Mm-hmm. This is, like, a billion times better than that book. I just want to say it. This is what I wanted to read back then. I would uh, I would definitely uh, agree with you. And the the shame of it is that Walwork's book won't be exposed to one, you know, one one hundred thousandth of the amount of people that uh, that that piece of crap was. Well, because your podcast is covering it, would doesn't that make it not true? 
You just no, said I you know both of our listeners. Yeah, I did the math. <laughs> My math is right on target here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's you can't have it both ways, John. Sure, I can. I'm the middle of this sandwich. Bitch. <laughs> I will have it any way I want it. That's true. You are having it for both ways. This is not a Burger King sandwich. You don't get it your way. Wow. Uh, but um, to die upon a kiss. I got to tell you, uh, we probably won't be reviewing it on the show because people are starting to think that Wallwork is just financing the podcast. Um, it would be nice if he was. Now that it I would be it. nice, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, to die upon a kiss is uh, is very high on my to be read list. Yeah, it's also the only James Bond movie I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we are we done? Are we done talking about the Brits? You know what? We're not done talking about the Brits. I promised. I promised a definition for soon, right? Yeah, so it's a picture for, of a horse looking out a window. We talked about this. this, is, this or, is. or it's a picture of a horse in a street looking out of a hole. There, what do you think? All of this is true. What do you guys think the percentage of people that have any clue what that means is? Just 10? 8? It doesn't matter. Three? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I've had at least five or six people go, why does that guy keep posting pictures of horses on your wall? <laughs> and I go, I don't know. I asked him and he explained it to me and I still don't know. Because he's amazing. <laughs> Before we get out of our, our uh, European part of the episode. Yes. I was waiting for Sean. To... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as some of you may know, um, we we're nominated by This Is Horror, a UK website uh, for Podcast of the Year. Last week, I had a little bit of a breakdown um, that that caused me to look up the definition of soon that led into a bunch of horse talk and whatever. (laughs) I I have some information. So we reached out to This Is Horror and said, can you please explain what soon is? Because my blood pressure can't take this. Um, the showrunner over there was very kind to respond to say that he would have um, news up at the end of the month. So um, I don't know if it'll be next episode, but I'm hoping by next episode we'll be able to announce, um, you know, what, uh, what transpired there. So I feel a little better knowing when it's coming, Rob. I just wanted to share that with you and the listeners. Yeah, I know. I know. It's way better, like, because Livius would just be like, Waking up at two in the morning and go, you know, pulling up like he's always, oh, you know, it's daytime in the UK. I'm just, you know. <laughs> I swear that's exactly what it was like. Listen, like that's the I'm only. Not. This is the only thing that's ever going to get Livius to try and figure out what time it is in some other part of the world. I have two. Listen, guys, no joke. On my phone, <laughs> I have two browsers, the windows that have been open for like a month straight. The 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 booked statistics site is constantly open on there. And this is horror. And that guy's got to be like, man, I'm getting all these all these hits from the United States. It's me hitting the refresh button <laughs> on the awards on the awards page like 18 times a day. I'm like, mm, maybe he's a night owl. Maybe he's like Rob. It's got to be like 1:30 in the morning. Let's see. Nope, not there yet. But anyway, we do have information. The information is soon. Soon. The definition of soon in the UK is end of January. <laughs> I like that. I like that you got to the point where. You were trying to justify <laughs> looking at the website by like the types of like life patterns that he has. Like maybe he's a night owl. I I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. And I know and I understand that it's ridiculous and that didn't make it happen any faster. But um 
I appreciate his name is Michael Wilson, by the way. I appreciate Michael Wilson letting us know end of the month. So that's good news that we'll find out soon. We will <laughs> soon or within the next 10 days. We're going to know for sure is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's and as soon as we know, believe me, you'll know. All right. Speaking of news. We should get Maury Povich to read the results on the show. I don't even understand who who is Maury Povich. Really? I mean, like, is it like a talk show dude, right? Yes. yes. Is he and still he like... knows the, the whole "you are not the father"? The, the, uh... the point of the joke was you are, you are the winner. Oh. And then you there know, are no there are no winners on Maury Povich. And then yeah. you can dance on the stage. I'm sorry. Nope. Sorry. I think it's kind of a well. I don't know. It was a stretch. Did I tell you about the time I met Phil Donahue? No. Yeah, I met Phil Donahue. Outstanding. Who? Donahue. Another talk show guy. Phil Donahue. God damn it. He, he roomed with Charles Bukowski at college. <laughs> All right, back to the news. Um, <laughs> God damn it. I will get booked news on this episode. Do it. Um, <clears throat> Skip Papersley sent us another uh, a fine edition of Book News, so uh, hopefully without any more giggles from Ferguson, here's Skip and Book News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Christopher Hitchens is on trial, and he's dead. That's right, the new book, Unhitched, The Trial of Christopher Hitchens by Richard Seymour as an attempt to turn the dead man into the next Pope Formosa. In this case, Seymour, playing the part of Pope Boniface, will dig up Hitchens, figuratively as opposed to literally in Boniface's case, and put him on trial, not for perjury as Formosa was, but for not being as honest about his politics as maybe he could have been possibly. Fans of Hitchens' work have already begun burning Seymour's books, calling him a dirty heretic. In other news, there are rumors all over the internet that God is working on a brand new masterpiece. Almost 2,000 years in the making, God's next book is supposed to be full of violence, sadness, hope, redemption, and a bunch of easily misinterpreted rules about how you should live your life. Upon hearing the news, Oprah has stated that she'll have God on the show, but will have to read the book before giving it a book club sticker. At time of press, God is calling this book, The Bible 2, Chamber of Secrets. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Tom Clancy's Threat Factor is leaving the building at number 5. The Forgotten by David Baldacci forgets to climb the charts at number 4. Number 3 this week is John Grisham's book about someone who's very good at cooking lamb, The Racketeer. The second spot is taken by Empire and Honor by W.E.B. Griffin and William E. Butterworth <laughs> and the number one spot is taken by that sexy juggernaut Jillian Flynn and her book Gone Girl. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. Well, we didn't get giggles from Ferguson, but holy crap, what happened to Skip Papersley? He had a little <laughs> breakdown at the end there. He really did. Yeah, it's just like this total Anderson Cooper moment where he just like. That butter William E. Buttersworth's Butterworth, uh, he just couldn't handle it. I guess, good stuff. What do you think and, about the Bible and, part two? And 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 I, I'm glad that NXS is finally getting the uh, recognition that they deserve.
Sean, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you often find you say things and there are really long, uncomfortable pauses <laughs> from the people you're talking to? Or is it just is it just it's us? All the time. Okay. No, all it's right. it's all the time. So elaborate on NXS. He does the bit about uh what is it, Christopher Hitchens? Yeah, yeah. Rather than Hutchins, the oh, lead singer of NXS, it's ah, super, super dead. Yeah. Super dead. Like there's like <laughs> levels of deadness that you can attain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When we're done this, I'll tell you a story. Um, but yeah. God the, damn it. The, Does that mean Bible? you've been dead at some point? No. Okay. The, the Bible part two, Electric Boogaloo. Chamber of Secrets. I, all right. This is good stuff. Yes. Good stuff. All right. We got anything else to talk about before we uh, we bring this to a, a grinding halt? Oh, yeah. yes. We have other things to talk about. So I was thinking um, we're going to announce three more anthology contributors. Notice how smoothly I pulled that off? <laughs> three more yeah. anthology contributors. You didn't struggle for five minutes trying to figure out what to say? Exactly. Very good. Very good. Um, what uh in case anybody has been living in a hole or this is the first time you're listening to this podcast book is publishing its first anthology um we've been releasing names a little bit at a time and in some cases just right after we've been able to firm up somebody's participation but uh we do want to announce three more and i gotta say we're we're getting very very close to the end here so uh there's three of us. I think what would be good is what if uh, each one of us introduces one anthology participant? Rob, are you down with that? I think that makes sense. The math comes out comes out right on there. I, I worked on it for a little bit. I have a yeah. calculator on my phone. <laughs> All right. So the first name we're going to introduce, we were talking about Inception Levels here um, just a minute ago. Uh, we are very, very proud to announce that we've added to the table of contents for the booked anthology one, Sean P. Ferguson. Take a bow, Oh, my Sean. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's me. God, that's exactly what his text message said, I think. <laughs> now I'm going to kick you into a bathtub full of water. <laughs> Sean, uh, as as we all know, has been on the podcast several times. Um, lots of times. One of our most, you know, frequent, I guess, you know, either hosts, or guest hosts or interviewees on the show, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And then there's all the times you mentioned me. Like, which is yeah. every episode, yeah. Yep. Just about, yeah. Because, yeah, he's the one that pointed out that we say, there it is all the time. There yeah. it is. There it is. So, so, Sean P. Ferguson with $2 Beer Night. Holler. Holler. <laughs> I'll get the next one, uh, which, um, despite Sean's best tampering, I'm not going to get this name wrong. Damn um, it, man. <laughs> Uh, again, Inception style. Um, if the only way that me announcing Wah. this name could be any better would be if Ellen Page was with me. <laughs> Craig Walwork gave us a story. Very happy to have Craig give us a story. It's a story called Think Tank and um, Craig. Craig. E. Think Tank. And um, it was one of those where it's like it was instantly, you could tell it was, it was, it was Craig doing his best work. So. Um, very happy to have have his story in there as well. Agreed, Mr. Ferguson. Would you like Hello. to announce one of your co co contributors? Yes, Cameron Pierce. Very <laughs> recent guest of this show, Cameron Pierce was kind enough to give us a uh, a very interesting story, uh, interesting in kind of its layout called California, Oregon. 
Yeah. Very good Vanna Whiting there, uh, Sean. You really flipped those letters. Yeah, you like that shit? Yeah. Cameron we had on recently, but he goes back, he goes back with us as far as uh, Warmed and Bound as well. I think he was one of those misconnections where, you know, we had far, far over-obligated ourselves to doing 17 interviews, and he was up there in the list, I think, of like the, the you know, the other four or five, I think, that we couldn't get to, right? Yep. Yeah, so took us forever to get back around to him, but um, it worked out well, and we're glad we could have his story as well. You know what? He's um he's in charge, and I know you guys talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he's in charge of Lazy Fascist, and I got to tell you, um, I have a handful of their books, and each and every one of them I have thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, I haven't seen any, you know, anything that I've read from Lazy Fascist I've really enjoyed as well. They're doing good stuff. They are. So to recap, we have one Sean P. Ferguson, one Craig Wallwork. That's not me. One Cameron Pierce. Also not me. And just for just I just want to point out that um, in the notes, which Sean was sh- uh, sharing with us this time, uh, he had changed Craig, Craig Wallwork's name to Craig T. Nelson uh, from Coach, the TV show Coach, if anybody would remember. He's Coach on Coach. Yes. So that guy is not going to be in our anthology at all. Only no. because he wouldn't send us anything. <laughs> not yeah. for lack of trying on my part. Just wanted to <laughs> You there. tried to get Coach to send us a story? I didn't even hear about that. I this. tried to get lots of people to send us <laughs> stories. You have no idea. So, I thought about asking James Patterson. Yeah, he would have just, just written something. Just been like, my yeah, name write at the top. My name, yeah. <laughs> my name at the top, it has to be at least three times the size of your name. So... So are we done? Is that it? Is that all of the names? All of them? Um, well, no, 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 it's not. Oh, dangerously close to being all the names. Though. Dangerously, oh my dangerously goodness, close. dangerously, dangerously close. close. Yeah, but that's twenty-four. We've announced twenty-four authors uh, so far for the for the anthology. That's a lot, if you ask me. Yep, that is a lot. It's, it is. It's so. And I'm it's going to be action-packed with awesome words. Like awesome. There's going to be words. Lots of them. All kinds of words with hundred, letters and spaces hundred, and shit. 100,000-ish. I think there's, yeah, we're, I think we're about to crack 100,000 words, which is pretty awesome. Uh, there's probably going to be some man versus nature in there. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly certain someone wrestles a bear. Oddly yeah, enough, um, no horses staring out of windows. <laughs> Let's see if we get some man versus nurture. <laughs> man um, versus himself. No German beverages. Yeah, no. <laughs> Rob, before we get too far off topic, would you like to announce what the official name of the booked anthology is going to be? Sure. <gasps> it's going to be. We we fought long and hard, and it was one of those things where um, it was like I want to get my way kind of thing. But we kind of went back and forth about this, and we we even focus grouped it a little bit, and uh, we decided on. The booked anthology. <sighs> I know it's a little out there, but I think if you really think about it and let that title sink in and think about what that means, you just marinate the, it'll the, it'll come to you. The booked anthology, guys. The booked anthology. Yeah. So, Mike, I guess the next question is: if you gentlemen um, decide that you're crazy enough to do another one would it be the booked anthology 2 chamber of secrets 
I liked the book anthology to die harder. I was going to suggest the book anthology two soon. <laughs> or too soon? I guess it could go either way. No? Was that too soon to make soon jokes? Uh, is that too much? No. <laughs> can I can I also share and I don't I don't want to publicly broadcast to who I'm sending this thank you out because I'm not really sure that I should can. But we have an ISBN number. So you, person who are responsible for us having an ISBN number right now, I would just like to say thank you. You know who you are. So, Yeah. That's like makes it like official, right? Like That means we can actually sell it in places that sell books, yeah. Yeah, but I mean it's like a very official like like step. Oh, like it's a milestone. Like up until then, yeah, yeah. up until then yeah, we yeah. had like a bunch of Word documents. Yeah, no, that's know, so, definitely yeah. that's definitely a thing. We have a title, an official title. We have the ISBN, which I, I might be wrong about this, but I think the N stands for number. So you just ATM machined all over this place. Yes. One of my biggest pet peeves ever. Yes. It's also, it's like. When he says his biggest pet peeve ever, he means me. Estimated ETA. <laughs> oh, no. Do people say estimated ETA? Yes. Oh. Yes, they do. Honestly, I have no idea what ISBN stands for, but I mean, it would make sense that the last N is number. Irritable super bowel. We don't have one of those. Unless it's, unless <laughs> it's guest hosting this show right now. That's, boom, boom, ha. That's the number on all the Pablo de Serre books. Because he writes about What is it with these guys? Bodily. So, so yours was, if you don't, if you're not writing like crime fiction, it has to be a lot of like, like just bodily fluids or stink on people. Like Crabtree stunk a lot, right? Yes, he did. He was, yes. He had two pairs of pants, I think. I think it, again, goes to just kind of, like, giving the reader a more realistic idea of, like, sensory information in a gross way. <laughs> Could just be people, like, maybe it's a crutch. Like, people, it's easy to write about poop. Everybody, like, knows what poop is. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be the shittiest crutch ever. It's It's universal. Poop is, you know, everybody poops. I've heard that. Maybe she wrote a book about that. God damn it. Shittiest crutch ever. I got nothing for that. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing for that. God damn it. I hate this podcast. (laughs) Sean, before we uh, wrap everything up, uh, anything you'd like to talk about? Anything going on with you? Anything coming up that you're excited about? I'm excited for the booked anthology. I'm in it. Well, not me personally, but a story that I wrote is in it. <laughs> we, we like remember like back in the day. I heard that like there was this uh, kiss had like taken some of their blood and put it in the vinyl. So there was like a vinyl that actually had their blood in it. So like everybody who got the record got kiss DNA. Mm-hmm. No, I was I, born I, in eighty one. I don't know anything about what you're saying. Oh no, I heard old people talking about it once. So oh, oh okay. <laughs> Rob, Rob. Yeah. So what were can, you saying, can we take a copy? Can we take a copy when we see Sean Ferguson? We cut him and make him bleed on the pages? Yeah, absolutely. For, we will. for our for our for our bring Axel over for a haircut Kickstarter program. Yeah. yeah the, is the, this the, before or after the sandwich? <laughs> sandwiches sandwiches are good any time of the day, Sean. Um, yeah, that would be the premium level. You pay a thousand dollars, you get a book a copy of the book to anthology with Sean Ferguson's blood inside of it. Nobody wants that. No one. Yeah. It's probably a biohazard situation. 
It is. The CDC um, would come down on us for that. Would they be the right people? Probably, right? I don't even know. I don't think about the government. Sean, that's it? That's all you got? Hey, are you going to be at AWP? I am going to be at AWP. Yes. <laughs> I was looking at um, train ticket prices yesterday. Very nice. Yes, I, I will be there. I, I just the other day paid for my plane ticket to Boston. So I'm that's... in. I've got the time taken off for work. I've got the plane ticket. I'm locked in. I will be there in Boston. If anybody wants to stalk me on the East Coast, one of our many listeners, be in Boston March 5th through the 10th. Continuing the booked world tour. That's right. I've traveled with... a lengthy, lengthy tour. (laughs) I've traveled with Livius more than practically almost anybody else in my entire life, which is a little bit weird. Hey, um, before we get too far into the future, you want to talk a little bit about next week? Yeah. Why don't you go for it? All right, so this book has been on our to-be-read list for for quite a few weeks now, and I realized today that we never actually got back to the writer to tell him that we were reviewing this book, so it's going to be a big surprise for him next week when his Google (laughs) search, what are those called, the Google uh, notification? Google alert. Alert. Google alerts that, you know, Rob has posted in 25 places that we reviewed his book. So Murder and Other Distractions by Michael Estrin. It's something else. I started reading it today, so... uh, but uh, that will be our next episode. It will be. I'm thinking it's kind of lame for the listeners. So far this year, we've had two guest hosts. It's, so it's January 20th. We've had two guest hosts, one interview. This is going to be like an episode just me and you talking about a book. That doesn't sound like fun anymore, does it? I don't know. We set the bar so high. Like We were like, no. 2013 is going to be just packed full of like guests and everything. Mm-hmm. And right so far, I mean, we hit the ground running and like we, we've been rocking it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be just a goddamn disappointment when it's just you and I again talking about but, we got no well, Sean Ferguson see, to talk about sandwiches and, and stuff. All the, more, all the more reason to take next week off? <clears throat> no, no, no. We don't take weeks off. Every time I say, like, take a week off, I mean, like, we're just going to do an interlude episode. And Rob gets, like, all excited until he realizes all I mean is we're just not going to read a book. Yep. No vacation. Even even when we were in L.A., we still put out an episode that Mm -hmm. week. And we'll put out one while we're in Boston. That's right. Dedication right there. That's right. This is like a part-time job where you don't get any vacation. Yeah. Or or we're like superheroes. Like Batman, did he take? Well, no, he took eight years off. Uh, Superman, well, no, he went away fucking for a while, too. We're even better than superheroes. (laughs) That's your new tagline. Yeah, we're better. We're Booked. we're better than superheroes. <laughs> we're more present than Batman. I like it. All right. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Sean Ferguson without any pants on. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading and maybe help Sean find some pants. No, no pants. All right. He wore a rag drawn shoes and an old Stetson hat Had a 2840, had payments on that steadily His woman threw him out on the ice and the snow And she told him never ever come back no more steadily